The scripture reading this evening will be from Acts 32-37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was was upon them all. Nor was there any among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as any apostle as any one had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the by a, by an apostle, which translated son of encouragement, the Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Invite you to be opening your Bibles this evening to the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 11 is where we are going to be starting out our study in just a moment. We're thankful for the presence of each and every one here this afternoon. We're thankful for another opportunity to be able to worship our great God this first day of the year. And we are thankful for each and every one that is here and has come to study from God's Word with us once again. When you think of great heroes of faith, you probably think of people like Abraham and Sarah. You probably think of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. You probably think of people that are found in the book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter. Joshua and Deborah, Ruth, David, Esther, Paul, Peter, Stephen, John or James. You think of the apostles and many of them in their abilities to teach and to preach and we see their great faith and their courage their boldness to preach the gospel and to oppose those who would oppose them and we admire them and we appreciate them we are we stand on their shoulders in many respects however there in the new testament in acts chapter 11 there is one that did not name that Perhaps you do think of as someone that is a great hero of faith. In fact, the testimony of the Holy Spirit and inspiring the words of Luke in, as the author of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11 and in verse 24, when we are speaking of Barnabas, it says, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. That here in the preaching and teaching of Barnabas, and as he is described first off as a good man, if someone ever calls you good, do not take that lightly, especially if the Holy Spirit of God calls you good, then that is an astounding compliment. He is a good man and he is full of faith. He is willing to preach and to teach and to share his knowledge and his ability to help others come to know the Lord. And we can appreciate him as we, are, as we see the description there in Acts chapter 11 as we just had in our reading in Acts chapter 4 when we are actually first introduced to Barnabas as he is 
They're among the earliest disciples as they are still in Jerusalem, as they are sharing all of their property and the things that they have with one another. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, it says, The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. You see just the astounding unity that was among the believers in the early church. And he goes on to describe how there was this great community among them. And there was this abundant grace that was upon them all. And they were willing to share their property and their deeds. And they would go out and sell their property. An amazing thing that they would go out and take the proceeds from that sale and they would bring it and share it among those who are needy. And that's the context in which we are first introduced to Barnabas and how in verse 36, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. That here we are introduced to him, and the initial introduction is that he is this encouragement to the early church. That he stands among the rest. Uh, he stands out. That he is someone that we need to take special note of, and, and we need to pay close attention to this guy. Because out of all the believers, and you remember in Acts chapter Two, there were 3,000 believers that were obedient to the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, that number increases to at least 5,000. Maybe you could make the argument for even closer to 8,000 people. And so out of at least 5,000 people, we're going to single out Barnabas. That should get our attention, shouldn't it? That here is this Person, this man who is a son of encouragement, that's the nickname that he's been given. A second name, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And we're going to call him by that throughout the book of Acts. We just kind of briefly get his real name, his, uh, the, the name that his mother wanted him to go by, and we just kind of forget that name. <laughs> And we're going to call him the son of encouragement, Barnabas, throughout the rest of the book. And his encouragement stands out throughout several different episodes in the book of Acts that we're going to be looking at tonight. But I want us to think about Barnabas and how we need to also shape our life and how we can become a Barnabas to each other. And if we're going to be an encouragement to each other, we need to pay close attention to the son of encouragement. We need to look at Barnabas. And I think we can be a Barnabas if we are willing to look at his life and look at the lessons that he teaches us found in Scripture. And if we would be willing to emulate those things and put those things into our own life, into our own actions. Because we need more people to act like Barnabas and lead like Barnabas did. And so the first thing that we see is that he is selfless. And that if we want to be a Barnabas, we need to be selfless and we need to be willing to share our possessions. That is perhaps the most impressive thing that stands out, at least initially, about Barnabas. That when Luke is writing the book of Acts, he first introduces us to him in the infancy of the church. 
And the Christians in Jerusalem, they were away from their jobs because you remember in Acts 2, they were from all throughout the Roman Empire, all around the Mediterranean Sea. And that area, they were from all sorts of different places in different countries that had come to Jerusalem. They had left their families, their jobs, their homes, and they are remaining there in Jerusalem for much longer than they originally intended. And so they are in need, that there is the need to have this sharing, this communal sharing amongst them. And whenever there were those who were local, that had possessions, that had land, they were willing to go out and sell it and bring the proceeds of the sale to those who were in need. And Barnabas is the one who steps in and takes action. And out of all those who might have participated in that, we only get Barnabas' name. Here initially. And he gave the proceeds, he owned the land, he sold the land, he gave the proceeds from the sale and brought it to the apostles to oversee the distribution of the funds. I don't know how many of you may own pieces of property and things like that, but I know some of you do. Can you imagine, just for a moment, going out and hearing that someone needs some money and going out and selling your property and then whatever the value was, whatever you got from the sale, bringing it to someone else and giving it away. That's what Barnabas did. That's how selfless and giving he was. He didn't take it for himself. He brought it to the apostles. In verse 37, as, he, as we are introduced to Barnabas, who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And he was just one of several in verse 34, for there was not a needy person among them for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. And so we see that Barnabas is just one of several people, but he's the only one that's named here. But there were several others who had that kind of attitude that they were willing to go out and, and sell what they had and they brought the proceeds to others. To share amongst themselves. You might think, well, maybe he was just in it for the glory, for the namesake, to be honored, right? Because isn't that why some people do it? Some people are so charitable that they get their name put on a building at a college university or something like that. Maybe they did it for uh, tax purposes or something like that, right? To get the, the write-off. Maybe that's why he did it. How many times do we think like that about people who are selfless and very giving? That's not how Barnabas is introduced to us. In fact, what Luke does, and <clears throat> I think I've made it clear that sometimes I get annoyed at chapter breaks in the Bible, and this is one of them. In chapter 5, we get the opposite of Barnabas. In Acts chapter 5 and in verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And you see that Chapter 4 ends with Barnabas selling property, and now chapter 5 begins with Ananias and Sapphira, and they sell a piece of property. But we know what happens here, don't we? It says in verse 2, they kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, there is nothing wrong with this, with what they did. There is nothing wrong. They have not sinned up to this point. They have some property. They go and sell it. They bring a portion of it to the apostles. 
But this is where things get dicey in verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Because what he is doing, he is presenting that he has brought all of the proceeds. That he has brought all of the proceeds. And now he's being caught in this lie. Because he wanted the attention. He wanted the glory. He wanted to be thought of as someone important. And you get to see a contrast immediately between Barnabas and Ananias, don't you? And then we know that he dies as a punishment for lying to the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the same thing happens to his wife, Sapphira. Aren't we thankful that Barnabas was not like that? That some people are only interested in developing a name and a reputation amongst themselves and amongst other people for their generosity or supposed generosity. It's really their greed. Barnabas was not like that. Barnabas understood the teachings of Jesus in a way that many people do not. In Luke chapter 18, in Luke the 18th chapter, there was a young man who came to Jesus. He was rich. We call him the rich young ruler many times. In Luke chapter 18 and in verse 18, a ruler questioned him saying, Good teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, He said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But what happens? Verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad. for He was extremely rich. How many people allowed their wealth and their material possessions, the things that they own, to keep them from doing what's right? He went away sad. But we get Barnabas who is willing to go sell it and give it. What an amazing example Barnabas is of selflessness. Jesus would go on to say that it's not easy to follow Him. Learning selflessness and looking out for the needs of others is a very difficult lesson. But it's one that Barnabas excelled in. So if we want to be a Barnabas, we need to be selfless. We need to be willing to share what we have with others. But then we also need to learn to be a mediator and defend those who are doubted. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 9, this is the next time that we are introduced to Barnabas. We kind of get about a four or five chapter lull there in the middle of the book, in that section. But in Acts chapter 9, after the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, after Saul became a follower of Jesus, after he began to preach Jesus as the Messiah and the King, 
the former persecutor of Christians became persecuted and he was run out of Damascus for preaching Jesus. And Saul comes to Jerusalem and we find in verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. If you had Saul's reputation, or if you knew of someone with a reputation like Saul, you'd probably be thinking just the same way that these Christians were. Hey, what's he doing here? He's kind of coming in, trying to come in covertly, and he's going to try to then kill us all. But verse 27, But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. I don't know how Barnabas knew all of that. Something tells me he probably just had a conversation with Saul. He said, let's talk. I want to get to know you. I want to hear your story. I want to hear where you came from. I want to hear why you are changing your conviction and your attitude and your behavior and why you're willing to preach in the name of Jesus and why you want to become a part of us. I don't know all that. That's speculation. But I think he just kind of had a conversation. But Barnabas is willing to put his neck on the line for Saul, isn't he? He's willing to stick up for him. That when no one else believes in him, he's willing to advocate for him. And he's able to offer a defense of Saul's sincerity. How he had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus and how he was preaching in the name of Jesus and how he was run out of town, how he's become the persecuted. And as a result, in verse 28, and he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, that because of Barnabas, because someone was willing to come and mediate and advocate for him, then, guess what? The Christians were convinced because, they, because Saul had a Barnabas. Someone who was willing to come and defend him and stick up for him and lay his neck on the line and say, I stand up for this guy. We all need someone like that at some point in time, don't we? Where people doubt us, they doubt our sincerity, they, they doubt our motives. And we need someone who's willing to stick up for us. It takes courage. Because we might be the only one standing up for someone. When everyone else in the room is looking at you like, like you don't know what you're talking about. But a few weeks ago in the adult class on Wednesday night, we went through the book of Philemon. And we looked at how Paul was willing to put himself on the line for a runaway slave, Onesimus. In the book of Philemon, in Philemon, there's only one chapter. Verse 10 is that I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf the, 
he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated for you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And then notice verse 17, If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Paul writes to Philemon and he says, This slave of yours that ran away, you accept him as if it were me. Isn't that what Barnabas did for Paul? I wonder where Paul learned it. He had the best seat in the house to see Barnabas stand up for him and defend him when no one else would. Serving as a mediator to bring reconciliation brothers and sisters together when there's an argument, when there's a conflict, how many of us are willing to help in those times. To mediate and to defend. And to say, this needs to be fixed. This needs to come together. This needs to be fixed. And we need to see healing. Barnabas was willing to step in. How many of us are willing to do that very thing? We need to be an encourager. If we're going to be a Barnabas, we need to be someone who encourages. And we need to put people in opportunities to succeed. In Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 11, in verse 19, Luke kind of dropped this thread in Acts chapter 8 and he picks it back up here in Acts chapter 11 after the persecution of Stephen and Christians are scattered because of that persecution. In verse 19 it says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Isn't he the perfect guy to send? Here's the son of encouragement. They hear about all these outsiders, if you will, that are now coming into the church. These Gentiles. People who we don't like, who there might have been some conflict with. Let's go encourage that group. Let's help them. Let's be sure that they're unified and they're growing and they're becoming strong in the faith. Who are we going to send? Let's send Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And so they send Barnabas off to Antioch. And then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And so he stays. He preaches and he teaches them and he wants to encourage them to be faithful to God. And we get that verse in verse 24, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. 
And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So things are going good for Barnabas. The church is growing. It's becoming strong. It's becoming established. People are, are faithful. They love the Lord. And so what does he do? He leaves. <laughs> Verse 25, And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Why would he leave? Seems like he's in a pretty good situation. Something that would have been very encouraging. Something that would have been very, going very well for him. If he wanted to become a big name preacher, he could have stayed there and become famous. But he leaves. He wants to go find Saul. That guy that he defended in Acts chapter 9. He goes to Tarsus to look for him. And when he found him, in verse 26, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Barnabas leaves, he brings Saul, and he wants him to teach with him, to preach with him. Seems a little odd, doesn't it? You begin to see that, again, Barnabas is not... Selfish. He's not in it for himself. He's not in it to make a name for him. If anything about Barnabas, he's so selfless that he's willing to take a back seat to other people. He's willing to go and find someone else and he wants to put them in a situation where they can be successful. So you see that Barnabas, he has talent. He has ability. The church is growing because of his influence. But he knew there was more that could happen. That the church could grow. The church could be encouraged. And he could also help mold Saul. And help him become the apostle that we know that he becomes. He encouraged Saul to begin working for the Lord. We all need someone like that, don't we, in our life? We need someone who's like Barnabas. And sometimes it can be very hard to step out of our shell, to step out of the, uh, the kind of rut that maybe we have gotten ourselves into. It can be hard. And we just, we're not a good evaluator of our own talents sometimes. It can be hard to step out. But sometimes if there's a Barnabas, if we are a Barnabas, maybe we can evaluate a little bit better than ourselves. And we can say, hey, you have talent. You could teach a class. You could preach a sermon. You could give an invitation. And you have talent that can be used for the Lord. And I want to help you do that. That's what Barnabas did. That's what Barnabas did for Saul. And what I think Barnabas understood extremely well 
is that the work was bigger than any one person. And it couldn't all just fall to Him. And it needed to involve other people. And He wanted to have a part in training others. Something that, if you read the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 2, what Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That there is always this mentor effect that should take place. That you teach others so that they are able to pass down what they have learned. That's what we are supposed to be doing amongst God's people. And so if you're ever asked to step out of your shell to do something that you're not quite comfortable doing, before you turn it down, before you say no, before you jump to that easy excuse that you've used before, just remember that if someone is asking you, they probably see something in you that you may not see in yourself quite yet but they're not going to put you in a position for you to fail. They're going to help you be in a position to succeed. They're going to want to help you. They're not going to leave you out on your own. They're going to want to help you grow so that you can be effective and maybe even more effective than themselves. That requires encouragement. It requires giving people an opportunity to use their abilities. Barnabas understood the importance of encouraging people to use their talents and abilities for the Lord, and we need more people like that. Another thing that we see in Barnabas that is so impressive and amazing and encouraging is that his willingness to forgive and give second chances. Barnabas seemed like he was always willing to let people get involved with serving the Lord. You see that in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 11 with his attitude towards Saul. He's willing to defend him. He was willing to bring Paul to Antioch. And on their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas took with them John Mark. And you'll remember in Acts chapter 13... <clears throat> In Acts chapter 13, as they go on this journey, they take with them John Mark, but then John Mark leaves for some reason. We don't know why. It's not told. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe he got sick. Maybe he felt, I'm not effective. I'm not a good worker. This isn't for me. Traveling is not what I want to do. Maybe he was a victim of theft. We're not, we just don't know. But he went home. He left. Paul and Barnabas on that first journey. And a little while later in Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas decide that they are going to go on a second journey and revisit all the places that they had already been to, Paul doesn't want to take John Mark this time, but Barnabas does. 
And I think sometimes we, we want to try to get in that, that whole uh, conversation, that debate, and say Paul's right, and oh, Barnabas is right, and let's ignore that for a moment. Let's not try to choose sides. I don't think we're supposed to choose sides. What we can see is that Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance. How many of us have needed a second chance, or a third chance, or a fourth chance, or a fifth chance, or a sixth chance? Have I named enough? Probably not. How many of us have needed someone that would believe in us each and every time we needed another chance? Because it gets harder, doesn't it? If we continue to mess up, fewer and fewer, fewer, and fewer people believe in us. But here is Barnabas, and he is willing to give a second chance to John Mark. Even Paul doubted John Mark for some reason. And when people make mistakes, they just need that second opportunity or third opportunity to perhaps prove themselves. And we need to learn a spirit of forgiveness like Barnabas did. And sometimes the most difficult lesson for us to learn is that given an opportunity for a second chance, those people might actually become helpful to us. That's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? That that person that has failed repeatedly and that needs a second or third chance, that eventually we might need their help. That we might have to ask them for help. But you know what? If you look at what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 11, Paul writes to Timothy, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Paul came to realize John Mark had value. Maybe it was pretty raw in Acts chapter 15 and he couldn't see it. But you know what? Maybe some years spent under Barnabas's tutelage. Maybe that helped refine John Mark. And then late in Paul's life, he's able to see that's why Barnabas did it. That's why Barnabas was so obstinate with me back there in Acts chapter 15. We need people to, if we're going to be a Barnabas, we need to be willing to give those chances. We need to be forgiving. We don't need to be people who hold a grudge and who are so prideful that we can never see the benefit and the value in someone else, even when they may make mistakes. And maybe it's the optimist in me. I'd like to think that if Paul was able to write those words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 about John Mark, that he and Barnabas eventually reconciled. And if I have 
any indication based upon Barnabas' behavior in Scripture, I think he would probably forgive Paul. Don't you? And he'd give Paul a second chance. That's the kind of person that Barnabas was. He's willing to give another chance to someone that needed it. We need someone like that in our life. And one final characteristic that we learn about Barnabas, that if we're going to be a Barnabas to others, we need to be humble, and we need to allow others to take the lead. Pride can corrupt so many good and useful leaders in the Lord's church. I've seen it happen too many times, sadly. People who have talent, people who have knowledge, people who have ability and a love for the Lord and a zeal for serving God. You put them in a position of power, then their ego starts getting really big. That's something that's not uncommon in Scripture, sadly. In the book of 3 John, the Apostle John in verse 9 says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Other translations may say that he loved to have the preeminence. That he wanted to be first. He wanted to have all the glory. He wanted to have all the attention. In verse 10, For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds for which he does unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Talk about an ego trip. Talk about someone who wants control of the church. They, that if you listen to John and the apostles, then I'm kicking you out. That's what can happen to some people. Pride can corrupt leaders. And no one is impervious from the temptation to be proud and want the position of power and authority or influence. We see that in Diotrephes. And you think about Barnabas, he could have boasted in his abilities and the church's growth in Antioch. The church was growing, the church was doing well. And he could have never gone to get the Apostle Paul. He could have just had the attitude, look at the success that I'm having here at Antioch. I don't need any help. Things are doing just fine with me running things. Barnabas could have boasted in being the one who found the Apostle Paul, right? He could have been the guy that, like an agent you know, for a coach or somebody like that. He could have been like, hey, I'm the one who found him, so... Pay me some, some money. He could have been that kind of guy. He could have been someone of terrible character. But perhaps what best sums up Barnabas in all of this is his humility. Because of his humility, he did not wrangle about who was more important or who was in charge. On that first missionary journey, that first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, when it was just when the Holy Spirit revealed that he that the Spirit wanted Barnabas and, and Paul to go out. Notice in verse 2 of Acts chapter 13, 
It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And what you see before that, every time in the name order, you have the structure Barnabas and Saul. But then that begins to change a little bit. As you continue reading in Acts chapter 13, as they are on that first missionary journey, and in verse 43... Notice here the word order. It says, Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. That you see that now it's becoming Paul who is the one who is the lead. In Acts chapter 14, I think that's very intentional because in Acts chapter 14, continuing on that first missionary journey, as they go to Derby and Lystra, and as they are preaching and teaching, in verse 11 it says, When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Uh, here, Paul is the one who is identified as the pro- predominant speaker. He's the one who is now taking the lead in preaching and teaching. Barnabas is the one who's kind of taking the back seat here. It takes humility to do that. When someone is getting attention, and praise and acknowledgement for their talents and for their ability. And how many times do we read the book of Romans or the book of Galatians or the book of 1 Corinthians and we're just impressed that Paul could write those kinds of articulate letters in which many of those cases, I think he is speaking those things and someone is writing it down. Which is, makes it even more impressive that he is speaking those things. Like, talk about talent. Talk about someone that I would want to become like. I would want to speak like that. It'd be easy for jealousy to crop up, wouldn't it? It'd be easy for egos to get in the way. We have to learn to check our egos at the door. Especially in in the Lord's church. We don't have time or place for fighting and arguing and bickering about who's more important than the other. Because if someone is preaching and teaching for their ego, just to be acknowledged, they're preaching and teaching for the wrong reason. I don't preach and teach because I want to be heard, because I want to be seen. I preach and teach because I want people to come to know God. Barnabas shows us that there may be people who have way more talent, way more ability than what we, we have. And that those people might even be under our tutelage, but they eventually surpass our talents in certain areas. And when that happens, when that happens, when someone else becomes better or, or more equipped than ourselves. 
be Barnabas. Be willing to get in the back seat. Be willing to set aside your ego and let the person who's going to be most effective do the work. You encourage them. You help them. You be there. But you be humble and allow them to take the lead. That's what Barnabas did. And that's what we need to do as well. I think if we can put those lessons into our life, we'll be stronger and better off. We'll be more faithful to the Lord. And each and every one of us will be encouraged to serve the Lord with resolute heart and serving God in fullness of faith, recognizing the abundant grace that has been given to us. Barnabas is an incredible example of faith and goodness. And while it is easy for us to overlook what it means to be a good person, Barnabas does not let us forget the importance of how to be good. We need to be a Barnabas, each and every one of us. And if you will be a Barnabas, you will be an encouragement and a hard worker for the Lord and the local church. Tonight, if you are not a child of God, we want to encourage you to follow the Lord, to love Him with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You need to come to the Lord repenting of your sins and confessing your faith in Him to be baptized in water to have your sins washed away. He would want you to do that tonight before it's eternally too late. There would be no better way to start out this year than to become a Christian. And if you have made that commitment to following the Lord but your faith and your love for God have wavered, will you not renew your zeal and your love for Him tonight? Come back to him before it's everlastingly too late. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?